mindfulness mode. We drink or eat or whatever we do to kind of feel better. And then we feel worse because now you've just eaten that pint of ice cream. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe. We talk about meditation. We talk about so many topics on this show. And today's guest is just going to be fascinating. I've already had a little pre-interview chat with her and she's delightful. She has a beautiful smile and so much wisdom and insight. She's studied with oh a number of experts. She's a search inside yourself teacher. She's an award-winning researcher. She's a certified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. And oh, so much to talk about. I'm here with Dr. Shalini Ball, and I'm so excited today. So Dr. Shalini, are you in mindfulness mode today? Ooh, thank you so much for inviting me and reminding me of the mindfulness mode. Uh, I would say check in to be in the mindfulness mode because I am so super excited right now to be here and so honored and so grateful to be here that I might have moved a few degrees away from my mindfulness mode. So let me just take a breath and I invite you and any listeners too, wherever you are, take this moment to really take a deep breath in. Ah. <sighs> And exhale slowly. Doesn't that feel incredible? Thank you. It really does. It feels fantastic. So you have studied with the search inside yourself people. And that is really interesting to me because, you know, I'm fascinated with search inside yourself. Chade uh-huh. Meng Tang. Now, uh-huh. did you meet him? Yes. Oh, you did. Okay. I, did he teach? Did he teach this? He did in the initial. Uh, I was in the first cohort. That actually, it's all just meant to be, right? Because yeah. I was in Omega where Mirabai Bush, who is an amazing teacher, and if you haven't yet invited her, highly recommend. Okay. And, and would you repeat that person's name? Mirabai Bush. She, I mean, I can spend the whole podcast talking about her, but maybe you should invite her. So anyway, but she did go to India with, uh, I'm going to say, Daniel Goldman, Joseph Goldstein, all of these teachers in the 1960s. And they traveled in India and they stayed there for months and learned from the best teachers directly. So I feel like they're the direct source of some of those teachings and who I follow now and learn from. And so she helped um, Meng create that program, which is not, many people don't know that. I think he mentions her in the last few pages, but she was invited very early on to help them create a program because they tried offering the mindfulness-based stress reduction program to the Google employees. And the Google employees were like, why would we want to get rid of our stress? That's what keeps us going. And so that didn't work. So then they were like, okay, what do our teams really need? And when Mirabai Bush was invited, she, you know, spoke with the people and she figured that what this very geeky culture needs is emotional intelligence. And so then she invited Daniel Goldman and they 
brought in and uh, the neuroscientist from Stanford, uh, whose name I'm forgetting right now. But anyway, they then created the curriculum for um, Search Inside Yourself. And I was talking Mirabai Bush on Facebook. So I happened to see this post of all the posts. I saw that post where she said, I'm teaching this program, Search Inside Yourself with Meng in Omega, which is right next to me. So I'm like, oh, duh, I'm going for that. And so I showed up over there to go through the program. And in that program, they announced, guess what? We're gonna be training teachers because there's such a big demand. So if you happen to be at the intersection of leadership, research and mindfulness, please sign up. I'm like, what? And that Be- was you. And that was me. Yes. So That's so exciting. What an exciting story. And Mindful Tribe, if you aren't really sure, if you're not really sure what we're talking about, well, it, there's a book called Search Inside Yourself, and that's all to do with the mindfulness training that took place at Google. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking to Dr. Shalini, who was as you just heard, fortunate enough to be involved in the first training and then become a teacher. And so what were some of your takeaways from the Search Inside Yourself training? Like when you think about that training and how it's different from other trainings? Mm. Yeah, that's an excellent question because when I was going through my training at the UMass Medical School at the Center for Mindfulness. So that was the program that Dr. John Kabat-Zinn created, which yes. is mind blowing. And because it took the wisdom of Buddhism and the practices, and he was able to bring all of that into a secular setting, in a hospital setting. And that was transforming so many people's lives who had chronic pain and Uh, health issues that it drew the interest of so many psychologists and neuroscientists and that's what created legitimacy for that program and um, made mindfulness really popular. Now I came from a training in business and uh, because my PhD is in marketing and and even though this program was so helpful and it was very deep because it was several years long, the program at UMass Medical School, and we had to go through several silence retreats and trainings, but I still felt like it, it was, the language was missing for speaking to leaders and business settings because it grew out of a healthcare setting. And so I was still going through like, how do I take this into the business world? And that's when I heard about Search Inside Yourself. And so what was really helpful and powerful about that program is they took those teachings that John John Kabat-Zinn presented and they brought it into a business and very geeky technology setting and made it relevant to busy people who are like, we don't want to sit for 40 minutes of meditation and ponder on impermanence and, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things, which are really, really important. Um, but I think they were able to do it in a way that got met people where they are, which is what I think the Buddha's intentions were to use. It is said that the Buddha himself used 80,000 different ways of teaching because based on who the listener was. And so I think he wouldn't mind too much if we have, you know, change the language and try to fit things in so that we can meet people where they are and then slowly when 
you know, when the when the busy professionals, engineers, leaders, executives, even if they spend five, 10 minutes looking at what's happening internally and through the different modules of self-awareness and compassion on um, um, leadership, um, doing that in a different way. When they go through the whole training, they something does shift in terms of the perspective. And uh, so I think they, what really stood out for me in that program was that it provided a language that would really connect and be relevant to busy professionals. So there was that. And then the teachers themselves were very deep in their own practice. So when we came together, I think one of the really powerful exercises we did was finding your voice mm -hmm. in that. And I'm from India and from a culture and generation of women where uh, we were not encouraged to speak up or have careers and so forth. So that was a really powerful exercise we did as part of our teacher training in Search Inside Itself, where <clears throat> after meditation, we were said, okay, uh, we invited to just allow the sounds and our voice to come through. And so everyone had their eyes closed and we're just like going in deep in and someone is screaming, someone is humming, someone is oming. And I found that this primordial kind of voice just coming through me. And it was so empowering to be able to finally just speak without fear of how I'm going to be perceived or judged. And I think that was a very powerful moment for me to find my own voice. Well, I love what you said about how they taught you to customize solutions mm -hmm. for business because that's what you do now. You customize solutions for business and education and political clients, and you do it through your business, Know Your Mind. Now, what's the website for your business, Shalini? It's called knowyourmind.training. Dot training. Okay. Mm -hmm. Knowyourmind.training, Mindful Tribe, mm -hmm. you can check that out. And so that is interesting. After 15 years of research, you were able to put this together so that you custom create solutions so that companies can deal with stress and become more resilient. Mm -hmm. What's your secret to becoming more resilient? Do you have a secret that you kind of share when you go out and you put these mm -hmm. packages together? And let's talk about resilience, Shalini. For sure. That's I love the topic of resilience um, because I have a special relationship. I think I've grown to have a special relationship with discomfort and challenges. And, you know, we've all been through challenges in our lives. And in I was just fortunate in my own journey of the different divorces I had and coming from the particular generation and breaking out of that culture and finding myself and my voice and all of that, that I fell upon all of these different mindfulness practices, which taught me to look within. And, and I think what I discovered was that a lot of the things that we find are uncomfortable or challenging, when we look at them, 
not resist them, not avoid them, which is what we're taught in this culture, or just that's how we're wired as human is to avoid discomfort. And when we look at our own discomfort, it's not actually uncomfortable, it's just different. And so when you see that it's just different, then it just becomes an opportunity to look at that situation in a different way and maybe grow from it or it just invites us to be more creative, to dig in and find more resources, skills that we didn't even know. I mean, I have found I am so much stronger than I ever knew growing up. And I grew up in a very loving, protected family. And that was a <clears throat> blessing, but it was also, it didn't allow me, didn't give me opportunities to see my strengths. So one thing that I talk about <clears throat> resilience is then inviting people to befriend their discomfort, to really look at the discomfort in an embodied way and to see what is it feeling like when I say, this is so hard. And I invite people in my, cl in my classes, like, tell me more about hard. Like, what is feeling hard in your body when you say this is hard? And when we look at it that way, it's just people are able to transform their relationship with discomfort. And, and that opens up many more opportunities, possibilities. I love what you said, that our discomfort doesn't need to be thought of as discomfort. It's just different. And it's really our story, isn't it? If we, if we create a story that says we are living in misery, we're living in discomfort, life is so hard, life is so painful, then it is. Right. Right? But if we create a story that's different than that, then we enjoy that kind of life. Exactly. I love what you said. And you talked about your marriages and your first marriage was an arranged marriage. Now, what was that like? What Was that traumatic for you? What was that like for you as a person at the time? It was not even traumatic, which is so, I mean, it's hilarious now when I look at who I am today and to think that I met my husband then twice before marriage, mm. before I said yes. And, and it wasn't under pressure, but that was my training. That was the culture I grew up in. I didn't know any different. Now, did you say before you said yes? Yes. So if it was an arranged marriage, you still had a choice? You still had a chance to say yes? I did. Oh, I didn't know that that would be the case. So th that might be because we were a more educated urban family. And I have no idea what it's like in villages still. So whether girls have a choice or not. But I certainly had a choice. And, um, but the interesting part was um, my ex-husband met me once at a party and they proposed. So he had just met me for two hours when he proposed. And my parents were like, what do you think? I'm like, and I was trying to be very mature about it. I'm like, I need to meet him once more before I decide. <laughs> <laughs> That's very mature, yes. Yeah, that was being like very independent and like thoughtful about it. I need to meet once more. And so I did meet him once more and I liked him. But yeah. what would I know? Yes, right. You wouldn't know him. I didn't know him. I didn't even know what I wanted because we didn't grow up dating. We didn't have I didn't have boyfriends. I studied in a convent and I was just grew I just grew up in a culture where we didn't have boyfriends. And so I had no idea what having a relationship with a man mm -hmm. 
what mm. it was even like. Yeah. yeah. And what, what do you think happened? Why do you think the marriage didn't work out? Well, once, <laughs> I guess I found out, <laughs> I yeah. learned about him and it wasn't anything wrong with him per se, but if we had had a chance to get to know each other before marriage, um, you know, even if we didn't have sex, that I think is an important aspect of seeing if we are physically compatible. But way back then, even now as I'm speaking, that's probably a taboo thing still in India where you don't have sex before marriage. Right. So uh, even leaving that aside, just getting to know our deepest values and um, our intentions for the kind of life we want to lead and you know, just having those kind of conversations to get to know and hang out with each other and see if we get along on the most foundational things. And I don't think we got along, you know. Right. And then that didn't work out. And then later you got remarried. Was that difficult for you? Like, did you have like a fear about then getting remarried, meeting another person who may or may not be compatible with you? Yeah, it's interesting because I was already married with a son. So that itself is a taboo sort of a situation. So when Mm -hmm. I went back to Kuwait and... It was like a sort of, a, I wouldn't say it's a burden. No one said I was a burden, but I felt like, you know, I, my parents have to now get me married again. And it's going to be hard because I'm already married and I have a three-year-old son with me. Mm-hmm. And so I put on my profile and I took the permission. I put my profile up on a matrimonial website, Indian matrimonial website. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met my second husband was, mm-hmm. uh, and we, you know, just, go, I, I feel like we're soul, soul, soul siblings or friends mm-hmm. or soul, you know, mates even maybe yes. because we just connected so well as friends and we decided to get married. Uh, and then of course we realized that we're better as friends and not husband and wife. Okay. So there was like this real friendship, but not so much sexual spark. Yeah, Exactly. And so we separated and uh, my son's been with me through all this journey. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's a great kid. I'm I like, bet he is. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you so much for, yeah, not using that as an excuse for every time you failed in school. Like, well, your bad decisions for dragging me around with your three husbands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he never used that. And uh, I did have a good relationship with my family, with my son. Oh, that's beautiful. So. And then and let's hear about your third husband. I want to complete the, the yes. trilogy here. Third time is a charm, I heard. Yes, yes it's I true. I learned that in America. That's a saying, third time is a charm. Yes. So, And it has been. So we've been married for 13 years now. Oh, 13 years. Wow. Yes. Um, and, um, and I think what really helped us grow in this relationship uh, was our common foundation of mindfulness. We were really committed to growing together mm-hmm. because he's American and he had two teenage kids when we got married and I okay. had, I'm from India and I had a son and so it was a blended family and right. wow, that was great venue for practicing mindfulness. Oh yeah. <laughs> and did you have any more children after that? No. Right. We were very conscious about that. Three is enough. So how old's your child now? He's 25. 25. Wow. Yes. How exciting. Like, wow, your, your story is so interesting and in how mindfulness played a role in all of this. Tell me, does meditation play a role? Do you meditate in your life on a daily basis? 
Yes. Oh, my God. Um, I want to know all about it. Absolutely. You know, like in India, we didn't have a concept of therapist. Like when I was going through these different divorces and stuff, it didn't even cross my mind that I could talk to someone who's uh, qualified to work with me. And so my default was either go to an astrologer, which I do have, (laughs) and we have a family astrologer. And my other thing that I fell upon accidentally was meditation. And so interesting how people go to the go to India to find their spirituality. And I found it when I moved to Amherst. And mm-hmm. so just sitting with the trees and I would find that when I breathe and I ask a question, I was getting the answers. And so that's that was my natural gateway into meditation. And then I formalized. And of course, now, you know, I studied and deepened my practices. And so now I would say my practice is more... Um, in the tradition of Vipassana, which is um, the Theravada tradition of mindfulness. And so by that, I mean, I do a sitting practice generally in the morning, um, depending on the time, but I like to do 30 to 40 minutes. And then throughout the day is something what I call the reset. And that's the book I'm working on right now, because I realized that just a sitting meditation in the morning wasn't enough. And I intentionally needed to reconnect throughout the day with that intentionality of being mindful of, you know, what are my intentions for right now for my project for this podcast or the book I'm writing. Otherwise, it's very easy to go on a tangent and get sucked into things that are shiny objects for the ego and they feel really um, seductive and we go in that direction but then before you know it you've moved away from your intentionality of how you wanted to how I wanted to show up for that meeting and so forth so I have found that it's really helpful to do regular resets throughout the day before a meeting Uh, in the middle of a meeting sometimes when it's getting really challenging, it's like, okay, wait, stop, breathe. And what is my intention right now for this meeting? And then realign my actions, thoughts to be in, you know, conformity with that, with those intentions. So that's what my practice looks like. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, I'm fascinated that you're on town council in your town and we have a TV show uh, here in Canada, where the characters, some of the characters are on the town council in that TV show. It's called uh, Shit's Creek. And, oh my God. Have uh, you oh, you've heard that? of that? I've heard of that. Oh, have it's, you? It's, yes. Oh my God. Thank you so much for telling me. Because some of my best friends have told me like, you need to watch that. And that's the oh, only really? show they watch. Oh, well, some of the characters are on town council and it's just a very small town. And uh, it's just, to me, kind of interesting. But I, I was wondering, you know, and this, this show is uh, shot near where I live in uh-huh. Canada. And uh, so anyway, what elements of mindfulness come forward as you do your work on town council? So one I just hinted to, alluded to, is the reset process that I do. Um, which could be like in the middle of a meeting and it's things are getting really emotional. Like right now people are, you know, with the social justice movement and 
with George Floyd's murder and all of those things, there are a lot of people which has been great in the sense that it has shaken up, something has woken up in the people and they are coming. But, but at the same time, people are really emotional and angry and it's being directed towards the local government. And even though my personal work has been to offer and be of service to make this world a better place, uh, people don't know that. So I'm seen as the, <clears throat> as the cause of all of that. So there's a lot of anger and stuff going on. And in the middle of the meetings, I've had to stop and reset myself. And like I said, it's because the inner dialogue goes, oh, but I'm doing so much and I'm working so hard and na, 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 na. And then I have to disrupt that and say, it's not about you. You know, this is not about me being working hard, about me doing, I made those choices to work hard. Mm -hmm. And this is about the people and why I'm in service. And so to be able to realign uh, with my intentions of service really helps because now my lens is focused on the people and not getting lost in my own inner reactivity. So that's really very helpful. Compassion is huge um, because when people are angry, you want, are automatically wired to defend ourselves. It's a threat, right, to us when someone is attacking us and we need to protect ourselves and in those moments to disrupt the defaults uh, and shift back to what are the causes and conditions that you know make these people uh, have these emotions and experiences so again coming with from a place of understanding and not judgment blame um, I think those two and then perspective taking is really important um, I think I would say the growth mindset would fit in over here too, because I've seen a lot of politicians who come in and they have a certain agenda, right? And they like, no, you can give them as much new information as possible, but they're like, nope. It's like they did not hear anything you just said, because they came in with already a decision and they're going to stick with that. And I like to think that when I'm going to a meeting, I do my work, I speak to stakeholders, I do the research, I look at best practices. But then when I'm in the meeting, I'm also listening and getting new information and open to that and processing that. And I'm willing to totally shift my position uh, from wh where I came in. And that might make me lose some voters, but I think it also allows me to feel good about the decisions I'm making that they're based on, you know, what I'm hearing and, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really interested in that because it sounds like a great opportunity to be with the people and to help really make changes in your own community. Now, speaking of making mm -hmm. changes, mm -hmm. you are working on this terrific new book called Reset. And I love the subtitle, Eight Mindfulness Skills to Disrupt default thinking and transform the way we live, learn, and lead. Mm. Now, is there any way, Shalini, that you could share one of those mindfulness skills with us here on the show on Mindfulness Mode? Yes. So what are some mindfulness skills that you think about? When I say the word mindfulness, what comes to your mind? What are some qualities of the mind that come to your mind? Well, one of the skills that comes to mind is, is breathing. Mm-hmm. And one of the skills that comes to mind is um, sort of reversing self-bullying. 
because I think that as humans we have we have that as a real problem. Yes. And does that give you a couple of things that you know just two things that yeah. pop into my mind and there are many but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. actually that does the inner critic and how we all have yes. that and so compassion is one of the skills mm. and compassion towards others and also self-compassion mm. and like you said we i've created an assessment there's a free assessment you can take on my website Oh. where people can and they'll get an assessment of where they are on the eight mindfulness skills and again this is not to judge you but for you to use that as a contemplative tool to look at oh maybe i'm high on compassion for others and that normally happens we developed the scale with and retested it with 500 people and across the board people were really low on self-compassion which is that idea that um, we all have that inner critic that is telling us that we are not good enough somehow. You know, I work with CEOs, executives, and they're like so powerful and successful that one would not think that they doubt themselves. And that's the point is we all have a voice that's always telling us that we're not good enough somehow and we could do better. And, uh, and, for some people, they buy, believe, so when we lack awareness, which is the other mindfulness skill, awareness, when we lack awareness of this inner dialogue, we start acting on that belief that we're not good enough. And which means we don't show up fully. And when we don't show up fully, then we're not noticed and we don't have that impact. And therefore, it feeds back into our belief that we're not good enough. And so it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. And with awareness and the eight mindfulness qualities, including awareness, compassion, curiosity, and all the others, well, what I'm um, inviting people to do is to use the reset process to disrupt this inner dialogue. And I use the word disrupt very intentionally. I think it's a little harsh. And some people said, why are you using the word disrupt? It sounds like really, you know, kind of strong and hard. Why not something like reflect or, and because that is what we're going to do after we disrupt, but I'm using the word disrupt because I realized even with 15 years of meditation, when we're in a situation where we get triggered, we, we're wired so strongly, we go back, revert back to our default ways of working and thinking. And it really requires a very strong intentionality to interrupt that momentum of habit. I think that makes complete sense. You know, yeah. disruption, yes, mm -hmm. it gives that image that, hey, you really have to make that change. And I think, mm -hmm. I think we spend too much time being too nice about things. Yeah. You know, we're like, oh my goodness, what if I, what if I insult someone or what if I, you know, right. maybe make waves that are too big? But no, we have to disrupt that inner bully. We have to disrupt it in a major way. We can't be have this sort of nice thing going on, can we? Yes, absolutely. And I love that, disrupt that inner bully. I'm going to borrow that and I'll cite yeah. you in my book somewhere. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, and we can talk a little more about that because, yeah, I think that's a really nice, because it is like an inner bully. That's always a nagging voice telling you somehow yeah. you're not good enough. Like even if, 
you know, I had a PhD, I had successful business, businesses and whatnot and published research. And still that voice would be like, no, 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 that person is better. Look how, what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. you didn't quite make it. And it's like, wow, what do I need to do to prove to this inner bully that I am good enough? And so then the whole idea is that we are good enough, all of us, right? Each of us has unique thoughts, skills, talents, and it's just creating the right conditions for us to identify them, find them, discover them, and nurture them, and then share them. And so sometimes with that inner bullying story, it starts creating shame and then the shame creates layers and you got these layers of shame and then you feel like you're on a downward spiral and like, how do you kind of get back up there to be in the pre-shame stage? Hmm. Well, how do you? What's your answer to that? How do you move back up so that you can be just like you were in the pre-shame stage? Yeah, not only pre-shame, but maybe even beyond, or I don't know. But I think just bringing that compassion to look at the discomfort, because that nagging voice is so not fun and cool to hang out. So it's possible that we want to distract ourselves from it, and then we drink or eat or whatever we do to kind of feel better. And then we feel worse because now you've just, eaten that pint of ice cream to feel better and now you're feeling gross and not well Mm -hmm. and so you get stuck in those loops and the way then to come out of that is to actually turn towards that inner bully with kindness and say okay Mm. I see you inner bully hey there there you are again so I invite playfulness invite love invite um, fun fun ways your way of speaking to that inner bully and so that you can really try and see in the end, I feel the inner bully is trying to protect us in some way, maybe like the inner critic, at least that's what it wants us to be better somehow. Maybe, I don't know. But once we have that inner dialogue, I have found that Jason, my own inner bully is that it's trying to make me be better or it's trying to make me conform to a certain idea of what it thinks is the perfect me, but but that's not relevant to me anymore. Like I grew up in a culture where being thin was really important because then I would get the right husband. So I needed to, and I was never skinny or thin or I was always chubby. And my dad said I had puppy fat. And my mom was <laughs> like, she's 22 years old. It's not puppy fat anymore. <laughs> so I was always chubby and healthy. and. Um, but I was made to feel like that shame about my body language, you know, my body image. And so when I hear the inner bully, it might be actually my mom's voice, which was for my benefit because she wanted me to be married into a good family find a good husband. But that inner bully gets that voice gets internalized and now creates shame. But when I look at it and when it's telling me you're fat and you need to look at the, then I can actually say, you know, am I healthy? And do I feel good in my body? And if not, what can I do? You know, and can I like, can I share a short story? Of course you can. Okay, so this actually happened, true story. 
where I was judging myself as being lazy because my husband's a marathon runner and he runs to cold and winter and I just do not like running or moving for that fact. Uh, mm-hmm. I can just sit and meditate forever and I'd be so happy and or write or think because I'm a nerd. But if you ask me to exercise and run and all of that, it really creates discomfort for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, would, I kind of had this inner judgment that, oh, you're lazy. And so one day I did this meditation, which I encourage you all to try sometime also, is um, <clears throat> so I was sitting in meditation and then halfway through the meditation, I was like, okay, now just do the rest of the meditation standing up. Simple, right? Just sitting, now just stand sure. up. And I realized I had so much resistance to getting up because I was so comfy in my meditation seat. And and then again, my inner critic went like, oh, you're so lazy. Just getting up was such a big deal for you. And so in that moment, when I saw that inner dialogue, you're lazy, I turned towards it with compassion. And I said, oh, interesting. Um, what is it about, you know, like, okay, I'm noticing that I'm, calling myself lazy. I'm trying to now go back in my mind and see what the exact story was. But basically what I realized when I looked back was that the causes and conditions for my lazy, so to speak, laziness were basically the fact that I grew up in the Middle East and it was too hot to be outside playing and all. So I I grew up in a very sedentary way. Yes. So what I'm calling lazy is really my conditioning, which Mm -hmm. did not involve movement. So my brain is wired to be stagnant, to study, does all of those things. I see. Right. So there are causes and conditions for the way I am. So if I am sedentary and I want to now be more active and healthy, feel healthy, feel vitality, what do I need to do? Oh, to rewire my brain for movement, I need to move. And so so I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to start running, but I will run only as far as I want to, no judgments. How fast I'm running, how far I'm running, not important. I have to train my brain to start moving. Mm -hmm. And I started doing that. And I realized the first time I ran was a mile or something, which was huge for me because Mm -hmm. I've never run. And I was like, wow, I can actually run. And here I was beating myself up. And so I started running. I did my first 5K, which was like amazing for me. It was for a good cause. And I did that. And the point is that when we turn towards our own inner critic and we look at and investigate with kindness what's going on, what are the causes and conditions, then we can figure out what is the root cause of, um, you know, that situation. And then we can provide a remedy for it. Right. I really like that. I really like that. So, so the first time you went out to run, you actually ran about a mile. That's, or was that, or this is the first time maybe you ran like maybe a quarter of a mile or something like that. No, it was in Michigan. And I remember, you know, it's, it was a beautiful day and it was in nature. I never like running on the treadmill even now. There's right. something about being outside. It just makes me feel so free. And, mm-hmm. and it created that very non-judging environment. I remember my husband and nephew were running and I'm like, you know what? 
you guys run that way. I'm going to go that way because I didn't want to feel the pressure mm -hmm. of needing to keep up with them and whatever. So I ran and in my mind, I was like, you know what? You can stop any moment you want. But like my, like in meditation, we just this breath. I was like, just a step, just one step and one step and one. And I kept running. I said, I can always stop and I want, right? My heart was beating. It felt uncomfortable, but I'm like, but I'm still breathing. I'm, it's different. My heart is beating. I'm breathing the, you know, faster. It doesn't feel familiar. It's uncomfortable because it's different, but it's just different. Mm -hmm. right? And so I just kept putting one step in front of the other. And, and before I knew it, I had actually run a mile. I love that story. <laughs> and, and that's a theme. It's just different. That's what we talked about before, how you I said, take your di that. discomfort and think about it and realize that you're calling it discomfort, but it's just different. So <gasps> this is a theme that, that you down. have. That might be the title for my book. It's, it's just, just different. different. Yes. <gasps> Transforming adversity into opportunities for growth and deeper connection. <gasps> that could be the book title. Yes, it could. That's exciting. <laughs> it's That's exciting. Different. Well, yeah. it's exciting talking to you. It really mm. is. Do you have a story about bullying? Were you ever bullied or were you ever a bully? Or do you have a story that pops into your mind that you can share with us where bullying would have made a difference? I think the one that comes up is just about growing up in the culture of needing to look. So I think the culture being the bully of, you know, how women are supposed to look. Mm-hmm. And, and didn't that go on for centuries in India? Yeah, I think it still is. And still is, yeah. Yeah. Well, that must have been a huge thing to escape from. One never escapes it, right? Because it becomes us. <laughs> and yeah. that becomes the inner. Now I don't even have to be there because I'm carrying that inner voice. So it took a lot of time of really um, looking at myself with compassion and and that's why I say the brain is sneaky because it just hides and it shows up in very sneaky ways that I don't even realize. And you can't change what you can't see. Mm -hmm. So it's there, but you think that's just, you, you can't separate the lens through which you're looking at the world from, you know, yourself. And so you believe everything. I believe everything that my thoughts are saying, because I think that's me thinking but I am not my thoughts, right? Those thoughts were taught to me. And so part of the growing in our own selves for who we are and what we're capable of and how we can really live in a way that acknowledges the gift of this life, not only for ourselves, for each other and uplifts everyone, it really requires us to break through some of those things that try to box us down and conform to an idea of who we should be. That should is another word, right? Mm, yes. It's just not very helpful. It's a nasty word. Yeah, I should be mindful. Yes. I, I should be more yes. mindful. It doesn't help. I mean, I no. would if I could. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. As we move forward mm. in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, mm. okay. Dr. Shalini. Yes. And just so just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? 
Joseph Goldstein. He's a mindfulness teacher. Right. And how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's helped me befriend them. And tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Mm, so important. It brings me back to my present, to the present moment. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, other than your new book, which is going to be coming out called Reset, <laughs> uh, what, what other book would you recommend? I think, again, the book that really made a huge difference to me personally in really understanding what mindfulness in the, in the sense of the way the Buddha taught it, because my training was secular and then, but there was something missing in that. And I went back to the roots was Joseph Goldstein's uh, translation of the mindfulness Satipatthana Sutra, which was the mindfulness discourse that um, the Buddha gave on mind, you know, mindfulness, mindfulness discourse he gave on mindfulness. And uh, so, yeah, I highly recommend that book if anyone really wants to understand the whole path of mindfulness, not just the meditation aspect of it, but also, and that's what actually in some ways I am working on the reset book is taking those teachings and offering them in a way that's relatable to everyone and today. And when do you expect the reset book will be published? Early next year. Early 2021. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we'll look for that. My last question is, can you share an app? which can help with mindfulness? I do like the Inside Timer a lot. Um, and I would say also the Simple Habit app. And for two different reasons. I like Inside Timer because it's free and, um, and it has the ringer option. So you can do a quiet, silent meditation, but just have the bells in the middle to keep coming back. But it also have teachers uh, that you can choose if you wanted a guided meditation. So they have a lot of options. And I like Simple Habit um, because I love the whole culture and the, the woman CEO who created that. And also the fact that it has so many different types of meditations offered by so many different types of teachers for different purposes. And isn't it true that you have over 250,000 downloads on Insight Timer. You're one of the teachers, right? You're one yes. of the meditators. That's true. And so between the Simple Habit app and the Insight Timer, I have, I just added up here. It was, yeah, 250,000 downloads. That's pretty incredible. So how do we find you on Insight Timer? Do we put Dr. Shalini or what do we, what do we Yeah, just Shalini Behal. I was, I was letting you say Dr. Shalini. I normally don't have you. I'm like, just call me Shalini. But like, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Dr. Shalini. Sure, why not? No, but yeah. if you want to find me, it's just Shalini Behal. It's just B-A-H-L. And right. it's on Simple Habit as well as Inside Timer. And I will be creating an app. I'm working on a very dynamic group of people right now to create an app to go with the book. Oh, very exciting. Yes. Very yes, exciting. How can that. people get involved in that project? Oh, just write to me. I would just love write that. I would love that. And how do we do that? How do we connect with you? Oh, just my, you can email me. So it's shalini at knowyourmind.training. Okay, shalini. And it's S-H-A-L-I-N-I at knowyourmind.training. Mm-hmm. And of course, the website is knowyourmind.training. And of course, you have your assessment tool there. Yes. 
which is a great tool for you, Mindful Tribe. And uh, as we wrap up the interview, I want to ask you if you have any sort of final words of wisdom, any final pieces of advice to help to help us just live a more mindful life, a, a life of contentment, a life mm. of, you know, a life that just feels good. Mm. Love yourself. Excellent. Yeah. I think it yeah. just starts with that. If we could start to love ourselves and and recognize the places where we are not loving ourselves to kind of come closer to that and be with that, create space for that and understand that aspect of ourselves, then we can truly love other people as well. Shalini, it has been such a pleasure to spend this time with you. And I'm so excited to share all of this out with Mindful Tribe. And of course, you can go to my uh, website, Mindful Tribe, and check out the show notes and and see all the, the links and, and some information from this this. Uh, interview and of course it's mindfulnessmode.com and you can reach out to me at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and reach out to Shalini as well so thank you so much for being on the show this has been a real pleasure thank you so so much for inviting me this was amazing and I hope that this conversation not only enriched in both of our lives because it certainly enriched in my life and maybe even got me a title for my book. But also I really do hope that anyone who listens to it will also benefit from it. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. And I'll listen to it again too, because I always love listening to my podcast again, because I get so much more out of it the second time around, because then I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm in a different place when I'm just listening. Right. So thank you so much and all the best. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Bruce. And (laughs) hope to see you around again sometime soon. Of course. Bye now. All right. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For the show notes, check out mindfulnessmode.com and you can email me, like I said in the interview, at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I would love to hear from you. Tell me what you got out of the episode. Tell me how you enjoyed it. I'd love feedback. You can help out the show by subscribing or leaving a review on iTunes or any of the apps that you listen to the show on. For you, Mindful Tribe, I have a 12-minute meditation I've recorded. It's called Awaken with Focus. This meditation is perfect for the mornings to help you get going, to help you feel motivated, to help you have energy. So download this meditation at mindfulnessmode.com slash awakenwithfocus. And now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.